Hey, podcast listeners, this is Kobe with the Common Thread Podcast. I'm here with two more team members. That's Julian, and we've got Mac here. Uh, we are here to interview Marwa Sayed. Uh, she started a petition to make Boston University a sanctuary campus. Uh, she started this petition before uh, the inauguration of President Trump, and since uh, we've obviously seen the first 11 days now of the Trump presidency um, and, and his executive order uh, banning uh, immigrants from certain countries, we'll certainly get to that. Uh, but I want to start with the petition. So when did you start this, and what was uh, what was your motivation, and what was the response you got? So I actually started it um, in tandem with one of my good friends, Kimberly Barzola. Uh, so this is kind of a larger umbrella movement through Movimiento Cosecha, which is like an immigrant rights advocacy group. Um, and so they put out a call to say, we want to utilize the specific legal standing of college campuses as private property and as institutions of higher learning to prevent ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, from carrying out deportations. Um, and so they were like, okay, if you can put out petitions on your campus and you can get a lot of people to sign them and engage in a dialogue with the administration, this is a good way to advocate for this specific protection. So Kim and I, who have done a lot of organizing on this campus and off campus as well, decided to get this together. So um, I wrote the petition and we put it out pretty much that night and we have gotten a lot of support. We've gotten over 2,000 signatures and a rather um, tepid response <laughs> from the administration. Um, they so far have not actually reached out to contact us at any point uh, to talk to us about our petition, but they have released information about our demands. And so basically our demands centered around not allowing ICE onto BU property, not disclosing um, the immigration status of students. And we hoped, and so that's that's the general the general gist there, just basically like physically preventing deportations from occurring. Um, we would also like to have legal support available uh, if possible, or not if possible, it is possible. Um, if, it, if it happens that someone needs legal support, we hope to make it available. So those are kind of our core demands. Um, BU never really uh, officially responded to us, but they did release a statement saying that they already do not work in tandem with ICE, which is what we had suspected because it's, it would be highly unusual for that to be the case. Um, Boston is is what, what we would probably refer to as a limited sanctuary city already. Um, we already, the Boston police already doesn't work with ICE, which means that, so usually what happens is that if you arrest someone, um, when they are processed, FBI gets something about them, and now FBI can send along their name to ICE, which will then look to see if they have a deportation warrant or deportation order out for them. What Boston did was to cut that out and say, we are not sending any of these, they're called deportation retainers, we're not sending them to ICE, um, which they have the ability to do. So that's kind of the situation that BU police is in as well. Um, so we, we learned a lot of information about what BU already doesn't do, which is important. It wasn't really widely available, if, if at all. Um, but the kind of frustrating thing that we ran up against was that uh, they were like, well, if ICE has a warrant, like, it's going to happen. So that's where we're at. So can you describe the difference, just for the sake of the listeners, sure. of a limited sanctuary city versus what you would consider maybe a full-fledged sanctuary city? And maybe give an example of the latter. Okay. Yeah, so, so Boston is right now what we would call the limited sanctuary city, largely because there hasn't been an act passed specifically to make it a sanctuary city. 
the legal definition of sanctuary city is very um, very fluid because it's not actually a legal term. It's just a it's just a term that we we gave uh, to this particular concept. Um, other cities, uh, Somerville is a good example of a sanctuary city. Um, so they're kind of very active about what I would call very active about promoting the idea that they're a sanctuary city and really being there for people in the city. So they're not only saying like our police won't work with them, they're also providing legal services, they're also providing information, providing help. Um, I know that there have been recent remarks by the mayor, Marty Walsh, uh, the, the mayor of Boston, about how he'll like, he'll, he'll have, you know, people in, in City Hall if he has to, which are admirable. I suspect they're motivated by the fact that Tito Jackson is running against him in this mayoral election, but it's still good to hear that rhetoric. And so that's kind of, that would be more towards what we would consider a sanctuary city. There's also, also the, the loophole right now in, in Boston being a sanctuary city is that um, there is, like, like I said, a loophole um, in the act, uh, what's it called? The Trust Act, the Trust Act. So the Trust Act is kind of our equivalent to Sanctuary City that we have here in Boston, um, but it doesn't go that far. And the loophole it has is that if the person with a deportation retainer has committed a particularly violent crime or a violent crime, at their discretion, the police can send on the information to ICE. And so what we actually saw was that six people were deported, even though we have this, this Trust Act. Um, so that's kind of where a distinction would be for me. So if the distinction between a sanctuary, a limited sanctuary city and a sanctuary city. Yeah, and a limited that, sanctuary city is just a term I came up with to display the difference. Right, right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll go with that term. We'll go with that term. So let's say the difference between a limited sanctuary city and a sanctuary city is that a sanctuary city is more active. They provide legal support and so forth. Would you say that the fact that President Brown has said that we basically, if, if, if the university gets subpoenaed, to provide information, they don't have that information and obviously therefore can't turn it over. Mm -hmm. uh, would you consider that sort of limited sanctuary campus versus something like, I know the UC schools and, and Janet Napolitano, uh, who interestingly enough was formerly uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, she's said that they're gonna provide legal support for students. Um, would you, if we're, if we're taking that distinction between limited sanctuary city and sanctuary city, if we're bringing that down to the campus level, would you call BU a limited sanctuary campus now? Um, I think that's probably a good way to put it. So like I said before, when, when we did receive a response, however circumspect it was, uh, we did see that BU already does things that we would consider to be part of sanctuary. They already don't cooperate with ICE, et cetera. They don't collect immigration status, like you said, so there, there's no way they could give it to anyone. Um, so yeah, I think our, our frustration, though, is that there has been an extreme reluctance to actually say that, um, whether it's fear of political repercussions or fear of alumni repercussions, whatever it is, um, it's it's kind of, well, why not? Why not say that you're a sanctuary campus? We would like them to go farther. We would like them to provide more material support, such as legal help. But right now, there there are still things about this campus that people need to know that make it safer. Right, so our kind of conundrum right now is, well, why don't we call it a sanctuary city? And the response we've been receiving, and again, not directly, <laughs> is that it's too dangerous right. because it's a loaded term. I mean, how much do you think 
calling it a sanctuary campus would improve things? Would it mostly be in terms of like students feeling more safe and comfortable while they're on campus, knowing that it's a sanctuary campus, or do you think there'd be other effects that would be positive? Um, I think so. I think the I think yes, definitely students, undocumented students on this campus would definitely feel safer. It would also provide. So, like I said before, this whole sort of mm, push was started by Movimiento Cosecha. It would provide another school in the network of sanctuary schools, right? Because um, right now, the people we're talking to uh, will ask us if BU is a sanctuary campus, and then we have, kind of have to, like, talk about each specific point that BU does that's part of that, but the parts of the things that they don't do, and then it, it gets very mixed up. So I think, I think it can have positive um, implications throughout. I think also... It's a good t it's a good thing for us to take a stand on, um, especially right now. So, so can I just real quick? Yeah. <clears throat> offer you a challenge. Uh, I just want to see you know how you respond to it because sure. the the UC schools, um, Janet Napolitano refuses to use the term sanctuary. Mm -hmm. uh, she thinks it's sort of a messy term. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it's not legal. It's sort of more of a term that came into this issue through politics. Yeah. So. You know, would you say that the UC schools are essentially doing what you would like Boston University University to do, even though they don't call themselves call themselves a sanctuary city? And then on the other side of that coin, is there a school in the area uh, or a school that you can cite that is doing, you know, what you want Boston University to do? Yeah. So I think, like I said, and like you said, sanctuary campus city is not a legal term, so it's kind of hard to define what it is. Um, I would. I mean. I think I think they're the UC schools are doing what we'd like to see here at BU. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm not too taken on that explanation as to why not to call it a sanctuary campus. I understand that the term is is not fully defined in a legal sense, but I think that it, there's there's a sort of a mass understanding of what that means, and I think it's good to sort of have a unified uh, label to call right. these different schools. Um, as for the schools in the area, actually, yes, Tufts. Okay. So Tufts provides legal support for undocumented students. And they were doing this before all this happened. They actually started this program maybe three years ago now, where they give specific financial support to undocumented students, um, like when they're entering the university. Um, so again, they already do all that other stuff, right? They already don't cooperate with ICE. They already don't do whatever and whatever and whatever. But they also have this added uh, dynamic of material support. So it seemed like uh, President Brown's uh, letter that he sent out to the BU community, a lot of it focused on not uh, not protecting students if there's a warrant issued or a subpoena or something like that. Would calling themselves a sanctuary campus require them to do that, or is that not really a part of it? Well, that's where it gets tricky, of course, because it would be illegal to refuse mm -hmm. to have a warrant served, right? Um, so that's where the hesitation is in a lot of people. So they're kind of, in a lot of people's minds, they're okay until we get to, well, what if there's a warrant? And then it kind of stops there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tricky question. I mean, I think, I think we're getting to a point where people are starting to question whether, like, working within the bounds of legality. I mean, I, I have my very personal <laughs> yeah, views yeah, on yeah, that, yeah, of yeah. course. Um. But, but, I mean, do remember the university has the incentive of, A, first of all, it, maintaining good alumni relations, and also it gets federal funding yeah, that's, for yeah, that's, its research. And yeah, so so yeah. to 
openly defy the federal government is a different thing than for the President Pat Brown to make statements against administration policy, you know? Well, that's the thing, because so, so right now, you know, we do have these policies in place, but the institution is not the only way that we can work on this issue, right? We have students, we have different student organizations um, that can organize uh, things, to put it very, very roughly. Right, but let me, let me ask this question real quick. If So if Tufts, you say, when students come in mm -hmm. who are undocumented, they provide legal support, am I right? Um, they provide legal support and financial support. And financial support, okay. Yes. Would that not require them to then be aware of who is undocumented and the yep. advantage, let's say, of Boston University um, kind of not maintaining that relationship with undocumented students is that when ICE shows up and says, give us your list, we don't have it. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a delicate balance for sure. I. I still think that it's probably better to provide people with the tools to succeed mm -hmm. than it is to to not collect immigration status. Um, and collect immigration status sounds very authoritarian, but right. um, you know, it it, it, it yeah. <laughs> but if if it does provide people with the opportunity to to have financial support, it might might be a good idea. I was hoping you could speak more to one of the demands on your petition sure. about calling for our chapel on campus to be considered a physical place mm -hmm. of sanctuary and mm -hmm. what exactly that means and entails and do you know of other campuses in our area that are doing that currently or even other religious spaces right yes yes um so there is so kind of broader just just to, to smaller there is a national movement of course to have certain um, religious spaces be used as sanctuary there's already a long-standing tradition of churches being used as sanctuary, and now a lot of, I'm Muslim, and now a lot of mosques are getting into it. Um, so that's kind of the national picture. And then if you go down to the college level, there has been an effort um, to use chapels and religious spaces as sanctuary spaces as well. Um, I don't, I don't know, I want to say MIT. Actually, yes, I do want to say MIT's, so when we were writing our petition, we were looking at a lot of different petitions of other schools to look at our demands and compare and see what we could do. Um, MIT, I'm pretty sure, had one talking about their chapel. I'm not really sure where they are with theirs. These take a while to get through the administration, of course. Um, but so kind of how we were envisioning that working is, again, Sanctuary is not a legal term. Right. There, a church has no more legal basis in providing sanctuary than anywhere else does. However, it is kind of a, a de facto way that we operate, right? We say that a certain place is, is a place of sanctuary and it's generally respected. Mm -hmm. um, however, there have been cases a few years ago, especially where um, churches and church leaders would be arrested for providing sanctuary for undocumented re refugees and, and immigrants in their churches. Um, so Kim and I are, are not, we're our undergrads currently, we're not really in the School of Theology world, but we are working with people in the School of Theology to try and see what that would look like um, and, and how we would carry that out. So we'll have more information on that hopefully soon. Have they been amicable? Yes, be? yes, okay. definitely. Yeah, Marsh Chapel is very, is very into it for sure. Yeah, and especially the, the different student organizations at the School of Theology um, are, are very much into the idea. Cool. So I guess, um, do you want to move on to Trump and uh, the changes that have happened, or does anyone have any more questions? There is one more question I had. Yeah. So uh, I think I read that the student government supported your position. 
petition. They passed a resolution supporting the, your petition. Mm -hmm. uh, did that get any response from the administration, the fact that the student government uh, joined in on it? It did. It did. Yeah, I think that that was what they mentioned, not the petition itself, but the student government. Yeah, they didn't actually it. talk about us. They just yeah, talked about Yeah, the, the student government support. Um, they kind of, they kind of, uh, uh, Kim and I have a, have a history with the administration, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> um, we always have since freshman year. Um, so, uh, so that's, that's a little, little side note there, but so we were not hearing anything from them, uh, even as the petition grew. Um, I think, so student government asked us if, if we wanted, the, if we wanted their support and we said, yes, we would. And so that, I think that kind of made it go through official channels that we don't have access to. Right. Um, that we also choose not to have access to, right? Because we can go up there and, and demand a meeting with President Brown and we'll probably get a meeting with his chief of staff and we can talk to them and we've done right. that before. Right. Um, but we didn't really want to engage on that level yet. Um, so yes, the I think the, the resolution helped, although it was frustrating at points because it, it was being co-opted. It seemed like it was being co-opted by student government, right? Right, which is not their fault. Mm -hmm. Which is a construction of the administration to say that, like, oh, student government is it's their it's their proposal. How did it come to student government? Did they did you lobby them to take it up? No, I'm friends with student government. <laughs> oh, gosh, oh, yeah. Kim and I used to be in student government before we were impeached. Right, I, 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 I am aware. That's, <laughs> that's why I was curious. If, if did you have to, you know, to you know, no, the e-board are my friends. Or, okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And they're obviously very supportive of it. Right. Yeah, Jane Dimon particularly, the VP of Internal Affairs. Okay. Do you last question? Sorry. They, yeah. Do you know if there's other petitions that were started by students that that are similar to yours for the BU campus? Yeah. No. No. Okay. So yours is singular. Yes. The student government took it up, and that got some sort of response from the administration, yes. acknowledgement at least. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, go ahead, Mac. If you, yeah, if you cool. Wanted to go towards. Yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously there have been a lot of developments uh, with. The, after the inauguration of Trump, and um, obviously, I mean, things are more urgent now. Uh, you, we'd say, do you think that the situation has changed at all? Have you guys changed your tactics or anything since this has happened, or are you still kind of continuing on along the same path, just with m more of a sense of urgency? Yeah, we're actually trying to decide that. Hmm. Um, so our tactics, our tactics as they stand. Are still are still to do more policy research um, because it's a very fluid term, and to do some more lobbying of different student organizations. Um, when we started the petition, we we didn't really receive a lot of student organization support, which we were not surprised about, but still disappointed. Um, so now that all this is happening, we're hoping to see um, more student organization support. We are also, like I said, looking to organize in groups more. And so we've gotten our, our administration response. We understand where, like, what they're saying. We don't necessarily agree. Um, but I think for now we're trying, to, we're trying to see what we can do perhaps outside of the system um, at this point. Though we have, we, Kim and I are not alone. We also work with students from the law school, the students from School of Social Work students from um, the School of Theology, so we go through a lot of meetings and try to figure out tactics and, and things to do and various legalities, um, which has been super helpful. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's very urgent now, of course, and there's not much we can do about that. 
I mean, I think something that's just kind of important to note that um, you kind of reminded me of when you said that Tufts has been doing this for years, is yes. that like this is, though it is more urgent now, this isn't something that's new with the new administration. These have been problems that we had under Barack Obama. These yep. have been problems that we've had under like every sitting president that we've yep. had. Um, and so like, uh, while they are more urgent now, this is something that we, that like is like a traditional thing our country's been doing. Yes. Um, yes. And just wanted to like, put that out there because I think that's like an important thing to say. No, it is. It is important. And it's also important in looking at how we organize, right? So if we are, if we are only a reactionary organizational group, then I personally think that's not sustainable, right? Because then you are scrambling to build structures and scrambling to build things when you don't have time and when things are very, very urgent. And that is perhaps not the way to do it, though this is the way we have to do it right now. Um, but if you already have infra infrastructures in place, if you already have sort of community understanding in place, then when things like this happen, it's easier to respond. But you And know. I think that kind of gets into something broader. I think there's been kind of this uh, reactivation of like the left as uh, like an organizing and political force to some extent. It's like yeah. early days yeah. in this administration. And um, I think that like that's uh, interesting and like cool. I mean, I, I like it, but um, yeah. I think that... Uh, do you see this developing into more of a sustained movement, or do you think that it's just going to be a reactionary wave? The sanctuary campus movement or the left? Uh, just like this, this rebirth of like activism on the left. I mean, sanctuary campuses too. That's more your area of expertise. So if you want to speak about that, though. or well, I guess to some extent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, um, that's a question that I've been trying to figure out myself. Mm -hmm. um, I see the sanctuary campus movement in particular being sustained because it does. So, movement the Cosecha has been around for a very mm -hmm. long time. They are definitely not reactionaries. They have mm -hmm. been around for a very long time, building infrastructure. They have a huge national network. They have, you know, like conference calls all the time, disseminating information. The airport protests were put on by movement the Cosecha. You know, everyone was like, "Oh, these are spontaneous." Those were in the works mm -hmm. and had been for a while. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like the fact that 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 this kind of organization is working in tandem with us is very important because it allows us to be more sustainable. I'm sorry, I'm interested in the notion that you said that those airport protests were in the works for a while. Um, because yeah. the way that was covered by the media was... That's always that, how it is covered. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Organizing yeah. is routinely Right, <laughs> right. And I, I mean, I don't think I don't think the media, media needs any more criticism than it's getting from the administration. Well, but, I'm, always um, down. I'm always down. Yeah, I mean, like, everything. we shouldn't not criticize yeah, the media. No, I'm not saying we should let them off the hook. The but, yeah. but, um, um, well, yeah. Right, so, mm -hmm. so when you're saying they were in the works for the lo a long time, what do you mean? Did, was was the plan, well, if, if Trump follows through on his campaign promises, boom, this is our first target, the airports, or, you know, what What do you mean by it was in, in the works for a long time? So so it's kind of an like organizational strategy or an organizing tactic where, so if it's, it's like a sort of like a rapid response, right? Like if, cer if a certain thing happens, then this is the action we take, or if like right. this thing happens, this is the direct action we do. So mm -hmm. that was part of, and I don't want to give away all of Movimiento's like yeah. uh, mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, but, but they, they do prepare for things, right? And right. so we were preparing for, and I say we as in like the sanctuary campus because I'm not directly part of Movimiento Cosecha. Um, Movimiento Cosecha. Um, so we've been preparing generally for the repeal of DACA. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of an emergency situation, right? DACA is repealed, this is what will happen. Some X thing, you know, some kind of protest. However it happened that 
the um, the immigration ban was a thing that happened. And if you, I mean, if you looked at, it's, it's pretty simple, if you looked at the Facebook events for the airport protests, especially, the, I mean, the ones in New York and Boston, which are the ones that I was obviously interested in, um, were hosted by Movement de Cosecha. And that was a rapid response that had been planned quite a few weeks before, um, which is an organizational strategy, which is, which is erased because it's it's more it's more exciting to say that it was spontaneous, right? And it definitely was spontaneous in a lot of people's parts. Like, I was at a protest on the Commons till six, and then all of a sudden there was this event at Logan at seven, and all of us were like, "Well, shit!" Like, right, right. <laughs> you know. So it was definitely spontaneous in a lot of people's parts, but it's also important for us to understand in the history of our country and in the history of organizing how a lot of things that seem to have formed out of nowhere are actually the result in, of years and years and years of organizing and of, of coordinated tactics and of trial and error. Right. Um, so so let me ask this question then. If someone who's been, go- let's say you've been a student, you're on Boston University campus, you weren't super political, politically active, but now that all these spontaneous, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, things are happening, you know, you've been to, I don't know, four or five protests in the last week, you know, you went to Copley and you went to Logan and you went to the Commons and all this stuff, and you're saying to yourself, well, I feel great that I've gone to all of these things, but ultimately the big warning against these kind of things is that if you show up to them, you feel like you've done something and really there's a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. How can those type of students sort of follow in your footsteps and, and start building on those contingency <laughs> contingency plans. I'm not cool enough for this. Sorry. No, 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 no. an inspiration. Oh my God, no. Okay, you right, we won't me. say, we'll just say like, how do they, <laughs> how do they, you know, start working on these, you know, contingency plans or, or working on action that is not holding up a sign and yelling? Yeah. Um, so, so kind of the, the background to these protests is the before organizing and the after organizing, right? So before the protests, people organized for permits, they organized for speakers, they organized for content, they organized to get people there. Um, and often these protests are a result of a coalition of organizations um, representing different interests, perhaps. Um, and um, so that's that's kind of the background of that and then afterwards of course you have people who are like okay this was the response this is what we heard from people we will take this away and organize with these principles in mind or do something with these principles in mind or this particular kind of protest worked so we're going to keep doing this so I think people who um, I've actually been thinking about this a lot because people have said to me sometimes in good faith and sometimes not in good (laughs) faith um, what does protesting actually do Um, I think what they're missing is that there is so much work before and after the protest, and people hand out, it's very simple, people hand out a lot of flyers during protests. Mm, you can right. collect flyers from, like, seven different socialist groups at a protest. <laughs> I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I think I think it's it's kind of like that. You go to a protest, you hear someone from Centro Presento, Centro Presento, Centro Presento speak, and you're like, oh, wow, this is a really cool organization. You go up to them afterwards, you're like, hey, I would like to be involved. You're involved. Right. Um, or if they're on campus, um, I think, you know, you can either just, it's it's pretty obvious who the people are on campus who, who do things because they're, they're generally in the free or whatever. People know them, so you can ask them. I've had people ask me. Or, you know, you can sort of look at different Facebook pages and we've had people message us so I'm actually restarting the Student Labor Action Project as well which is the labor advocacy group on campus um, which was very active a couple years ago. People have messaged us through the page and said I'm very interested in this kind of organizing what can I do? 
Um, people have messaged us about the sanctuary, campus petition, and said, I have these skills, what can I do? Um, and I think that's kind of the most important thing is there's something that everyone is good at, right? If it's if you're good at math, if you're good at reading, if you're good at research, if you're good at writing, speaking, whatever it is that you're good at, the movement can always use those. So if, if people come to us and they say, we're interested, of course we want to work with them. We just want to know what they can do to bring to us. Cool. So uh, in the JFK airport strike, uh, the ta or airport protest, the taxi strike was like a very important aspect mm -hmm. of it. And um, it really like helped bring like m a more substantial like resistance into it. And like, uh, I mean, a lot of people think that actually attacking the economic interests behind things is the way to create real change. Mm -hmm. um, so how is labor being engaged here? You talked about restarting this uh, student labor organizing group. And um, has there been, is there a good climate for that in Boston? Have you guys been reaching out to labor? Um, and how are they involved? Yeah, uh, definitely labor has a huge part in this, of course. Um, all of Trump's policies are anti-working class. Um, so labor has a huge part in this student labor action project in particular, or SLAP as we like to call it at BU, <laughs> it's called Howl at Northeastern, um, has actually already has uh, relationships with unions and union organizers that we have carried on through the years. Um, generally with, you know, SIU, SEIU unions, um, things like that. So I think, I think the place really is to look at the movement as a whole like you said attacking economic interests is the way to get things done a lot of the times that is actually the organizing principle that we have worked on for a long time is that the way to get things from BU is to attack the reputation of mm -hmm. BU and it works mm -hmm. it has worked every single time the reason we got a response about the sanctuary campus thing is because we were talking to the media we were talking to alumni and we were saying they won't tell us anything they won't respond to us and guess who was calling the office alumni and media mm -hmm. and guess who started caring BU um, so that's just very local to BU that that mm -hmm. tactic works every single time it works um, and then if you can extend that outward and look at well what's labor's place in attacking economic um, economic functions of society there's actually a meeting tomorrow with a with a bunch of student activist organizers to talk with um, some labor organizers in the city to look at what a strike would look like, what a general strike would look like. Um, so we're, we're engaged in that, and, and we also want to, we want to make it very clear to students that while we do have a microcosm here at BU, we are part of a larger city that has a very big history of organizing in the working class, um, and so that's we're, we're trying to build a truly intersectional movement. <laughs> and there was a, a general strike among students, faculty, and yes, staff in 1979. Yes, there years, was. So, um, yes, there was. There's a history of it. There is know? a history of it. <laughs> in response to what? Uh, John Silber and yeah. his policies, and um, just the. Well, I think it was it was mostly in solidarity with the staff and yeah. their demands. Um, wow. And he was trying to break their strike, and so the faculty and the students went the on strike. The students refused yeah. to scab. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Wow. No, very cool. Very, very neat. Right, so I was just wondering if you take this movement you have now mm -hmm. through the more formal channels of BU, say, uh, organizing through SAO, mm -hmm. do you think doing something like that would be able to garner more of a response from BU than it has already? Um, I'm not sure if it would. Honestly, uh, we have thought about this, of course, but I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that we're not going to do that. 
Um, we already work with a lot of student groups as our partners, specifically um, the Immigration Law Association at BU. So if we do need some sort of, if we need to book a space, if we need to come under some sort of official group banner, which is useful sometimes, we can use them. Um, I think there are a lot of pros and cons to being a student group. We don't want to be bound by regulations for student groups right now. Um, we don't find that those will be particularly helpful to our goals. Um, and, and like I said, if we if we do need to do some sort of formal student group thing, we can use our affiliate student groups um, in, in whatever way we need to. But right now, that's not in our plans. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Well, thanks so cool. much. Thank yeah. you so really much. Really appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, if, uh, if as this stuff develops, it's kind of hard to talk about the executive order right now because it's, yeah. it's right in the heat of it. Yeah. But if yeah. this stuff develops, we'd love to have you back. If you yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> if you're, yeah. Thanks. <laughs>